to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Keely Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. Tim, you had the conversation today with uh, Lauren Williams, who is the CEO and co-founder of Capital B. And Capital B is this new nonprofit media startup um, that's really focused on uh, covering stories for um, Black communities in America. And I know that this uh, nonprofit has been kind of a long time coming. Um, They've been working on it for close to a year and a half now. I guess what's the what's the main mission of Capital B? What what is the you know editorial purpose for this new nonprofit startup? Yeah, so mission for Capital B is uh, civic journalism, basically, you know, covering topics like health, criminal justice, uh, politics, housing um, for black people. Because um, I mean those are topics covered by general interest publications or, you know, news outlets that are trying to reach everyone. Um, But oftentimes that means it loses the context or the focus of how specifically these issues impact Black people. Um, And these issues can impact Black people, you know, particularly strongly. And so Capital B's mission is to uh, highlight that context, um, especially for Black people to be able to, you know, see and learn how they're being impacted by what's going on in their communities. You know, for example, Capital B has a national publication, but they've also launched Capital B Atlanta, which is going to be focusing specifically on people in the greater Atlanta area and even, you know, Georgia, which will be really important this year since it's a midterm election year. And obviously voting rights are very much under siege, um, especially for black people. So having Capital B Atlanta um, will be a way for Capital B to make sure that they're staying on top of the issues and doing what they can to preserve democracy, which is a ridiculous thing to be saying in 2022. But here we are. Right. Yeah, no, it's definitely very, I think nonprofit media, right, has a very like mission driven, um, oftentimes just in general, nonprofits have these like very mission driven um, purposes. And so what they're setting out to do is absolutely not easy, but really crucial, especially right now, as you said. Um, But that said, like a nonprofit media company has different business challenges than a for-profit media company. Um, I believe I read that they are uh, launching with about $9 million in philanthropic backing. Can you talk a little bit about like the business side of it? Like what are some of the challenges that they've had to kind of um, map out ahead of their launch? Yeah. So as you said, they have raised $9 million in funding. Um, they also have a membership tier so that people can um, donate or contribute um, to Capital B in order to help it. And they'll also be, um, I believe, doing advertising and sponsorships as well. But it'll be that funding that is um, the bulk of how they pay the bills. And it's interesting in the welcome letter that Lauren and her co-founder, Okoto Foriata, wrote and published to Capital B uh, on its launch date. They specifically call out the business model for readers because they want people to be aware of how they're making money because capital B, they're not they don't have a paywall. They're not locking things out so that pe- only people who pay can subscribe. They're making all of their articles freely available. Um, and they're also doing local news, which I mean, 
you know as well as anyone has been really challenged when it comes to business models. And so in that welcome letter, and Lauren talks about this too in the interview, um, they've really tried to centralize their operations so that they can um, be as efficient with the cost of operating a local newsroom as possible. And because you know, they have Capital B Atlanta now, but they're going to add another local uh, publication by the end of this year, and there will be more coming in the future. So, and, and they're also not like skimping on benefits for employees. They're offering caregiver leave, um, 401ks, you know, parental leave, unlimited PTO. So they're they're really trying to, you know, figure out, okay, how can we be a nonprofit media company, cover these really important issues that are by no means clickbaity issues, but aren't also, you know, aren't the types of issues that generally get, you know, millions of page views that advertisers would love to be associated with um and how do we you know do this in a way that's financially successful or at least you know successful in the vein of we can continue to sustain this type of journalism um and it, it seems like they've they're starting off on a good foot awesome well i'll let you and lauren get into it thanks so much tim thanks Kayla. Lauren Williams, welcome to the Digital Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we are talking on Tuesday, February 1st, which is uh, the day after Capital B had launched. So let's kind of start there. How did launch day go? It went well. Um, it, it was not without its technical hiccups because it was a launch day. Uh, but uh, outside of the technical side of it, uh, it felt really good. Um we got our work out there finally and people understood it and uh you know working behind the scenes for so long to raise the money to do the thing uh that you've been wanting to do for so long and then and then finally doing it it's it's just a great feeling and so with that like i know you know, late 2020 was when it was announced that you were leaving Vox and you were going to go start up Capital B. But when did the idea to do Capital B actually start for you? It started in June of that year is when um, my friend and former co-worker Akoto Foriata and I started, well, actually just, you know, flat out had a pretty frank conversation and said, let's come up with <laughs> let's come up with a with an idea that is going to address some of the issues that we're seeing within the journalism industry and some of the issues that we're seeing in our country. And uh and well, those issues are connected. Um and 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 see if there's something that our experience and talents and skill um, can bring to bear in this moment that isn't already being done. What were those issues? Um, well, it was a moment when um, it was after uh, the murder of George Floyd by a police officer, and which sparked protests across the country, but also... Um, it was a 
different kind of moment of protest because it didn't just spark protests across the country about police brutality. It sparked reckonings in industries and um, like really all facets of American life. And uh, the journalism industry was no different. And, and Black journalists were speaking out in their newsrooms and talking about the various ways that they have been held back or painted as bias simply because they're Black. And, and um, you know, the list could go on about the ways that Black journalists feel that they have been mistreated in mainstream newsrooms. Um, but because it's journalism, that has implications beyond just, you know, internal employee issues. Um, if Black journalists are ignored um, and their criticism about the way communities are covered is ignored, communities conti- Black communities continue to be covered poorly, um, we lose trust of Black people and Black audiences. Um, that has... And, and, and then the record is incorrect about what's happening in, in our country. And, um, and then we also lose, lose people and we dis people disconnect from, from the news. And that has serious implications for democracy. It has implications for, um, the dissemination of really important information about public health. And it's more important than just some of these conversations about like, making money in the news business and the sustainability of the news business. This is like people's lives and um, how we'll look back on history. Um, so, you know, the complaints of Black journalists in their newsrooms, it's so much deeper than than um, what they might seem on the surface. And on the surface, they're pretty deep, you know. It wasn't something where, did you think, I'm running Vox.com, I'm the editor-in-chief and the SVP at Vox.com, that there were limitations on you doing that at like a news publication that's appealing to, you know, like the general audience that like, no, I need to be running a news publication specifically for black people? Well, I mean, yes. I mean, the, I mean, a general limitation to wanting to overhaul, yeah, overhaul something that already existed into, you know, a a vision that I had that was totally different is, is yes, that exact limitation. Um, I think that I, I do really think that if I had gone to Jim Bankoff, who's the CEO of Vox Media and said, you know, I, I really want to do something different. I think that he would have heard me in that moment and and would have been open to discussing something. But, but I I didn't do that because I, you know, I I really, I really thought that the nonprofit model made a lot of sense for what Okoto and I were trying to do with capital B. And I didn't want to squeeze our idea into, um, into Vox media just because I, I worked there. Um, it didn't make a lot of sense. And and so it, it it just made sense for for me to to leave and start something new and fresh. I'd also been at Box at that point for six years. And um and it made sense for that reason too, to to leave and and, and start something new. 
Got it. And there is a Washington Post article about the launch of Capital B. And in it, there's a paragraph about how big news outlets have been, you know, trying to hire black journalists, promote black journalists and, you know, do a better job when it comes to racial coverage. And in that graph, they quote you as saying, um, and I quote, storytelling about black people and black issues for white people, end quote. And that isn't what you want to do with Capital B. What's different about doing journalism for black people? I think that, you know, when often in, in when when in the conversation around um, d- diversifying journalism and making sure that there um, are more black people in newsrooms and uh, making sure there's more representation, the the conversation often centers around around voices. Um, we need to, we need more voices. We need to highlight more stories. And, and I really do just feel that that is only part of it. That is, that is important. And telling those stories is important and, 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 um, highlighting those voices is important, but the exchange of information is also really important. The, the, the getting information to people who do not have it is, what gets lost in that conversation that only prizes the telling of the story, but not who the story is being told to. And um, I having a lot of information is empowering. Having information about how your community works or why something is happening in your community or whether something is corrupt in your community um, is power and it's catalyzing. And um, you know, I, I think that we should think much more about who is getting this information and not only that we are publishing it. And that's what I mean by that. And as you mentioned, like nonprofit model here. And so that like, I imagine that's so you don't have to worry about, oh, do we need to do articles that'll get traffic so that advertisers are happy or locking stuff behind a paywall where only certain people get access to it. But in order to you know, do a nonprofit, you had to go through, you know, funding. There's also the me- membership model that I want to, you know, talk about. But that funding process, what was that like? What did you learn? And how did you figure out who you wanted to go to to ask for funding? Because I imagine that becomes a very important consideration of who are you willing to take money from? Who are you not willing to take money from? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing that we did uh, was we, you know, journal f- funding for journalism, it's not yet, it's growing, but it's it, on the philanthropic side. It's not yet this huge, um, you know, part of the philanthropic world it's not seen it's it's by and large seen as a for-profit business still and and but and so the there there's there's a relatively small but but mighty number of funders who who fund journalism and so it was relatively easy to 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 decide who to go to first because there's not that many funders who who fund journalism and so we went there first and um and they tend to and they tend to be really helpful because they understand what's at stake for journalism and uh and 
you know, some of our early funders, particularly the American Journalism Project, uh, really, really, really want to see their grantees succeed. And so we, we, we ended up getting a lot of help getting connections and um, it branched out from there. Not all of our funders are traditional journalism funders, but, but most of them are. And, 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 and as such, that, that sort of conflict that you're talking about hasn't really come up yet because, um, you know, they're, they're journalism funders. And then you have these, the membership tiers, which is, you know, like it basically a donation program like NPR has box.com had the contributor um, product as well. At what point did you decide, Oh, we should also have like an ability for readers, for the audience, for anyone to contribute to capital B. And is, do you have a goal where like that is what's primarily paying the bills or is the most of the money coming into the company? I don't know. I mean, I don't think that it's going to, that would be amazing. It's not our, it's not our three, you know, it's not in our three-year plan. We do, we do want to, you know, we're hiring a membership director later in the year to really bulk up the the program. Um, it's important that we have some sort of reader supported program for, for a couple of reasons. One, I think it can be a significant revenue driver outside of, you know, the, major individual donors and, and foundation funders. Um, and so, uh, you know, it would be leaving a lot of money on, 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 you know, on the table to not do it. But I also, we also think it's really important for our local newsrooms to be supported, to have that local support. Um, and membership is one of the ways that we can do that, that we can have, particularly as a as sort of like a you know a hub and spoke model where you know a lot of the fundraising is happening centrally and leadership is central that locally our 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 readers can become members contribute to um you know building and growing their local news organization and have some level of, you know, sense of ownership in that. And that's really important part of local news. And, and so there's, there's a mission related reason for it as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, Oh, I'm a capital V member and I get a a tote bag or a t-shirt. I get access to these, you know, member only newsletters from your team. And then I also get, you know, access to, select events. And then if um, you also have Capital B Atlanta, which is, you know, one, a local publication, they're going to be more, we're going to be talking about that. Absolutely. Um, but then if I'm a Capital B Atlanta member, which is a separate membership, it looks like, mm-hmm. then I get access to this Facebook group. Yeah. Was it kind of obvious from the get-go? Because I know you also did a lot of canvassing of who your intended audience was to try to understand what it was it that they wanted from Capital B National, but then also Capital B Atlanta? Mm. Well, it was mostly the the canvassing was mostly for for our Atlanta audience. Um, we we did we're you know we're, it's a constant practice that we're doing. I mean, we have a community engagement editor whose job is to just keep doing this forever. <laughs> um, so we have barely scratched the surface. Uh, of this. Um, and so we're, we're excited to see what we continue to learn and what changes and how 
you know, we are or find out we're not satisfying people's information needs. Um, and, and, you know, we're going to continue to be nimble about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, the Facebook group part of it was, was frankly like, you know, we know that there's lots of our audience on Facebook. Facebook is complicated, you know, for, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> and we were just, you know, we just kind of wanted to figure out a way to address that without investing a lot of resources in a in a place that, you know, who knew if they were going to even surface any of our content, you know? And so we're using Facebook as a community tool as opposed to... um putting a lot of like social engagement resources into it as an audience tool. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we will be right back. So having the two different membership programs, you know, the national and then the local is the idea. If I'm a capital B Atlanta member, my fees are just going to capital B Atlanta and towards funding that newsroom. Yeah. Yeah. And so how are you thinking of, well, no, before we even get into like, how are you thinking about adding to newsrooms? Was it always the plan to have local outlets, to have a capital B Atlanta? And then I imagine, you know, other uh, me- metropolitan areas. Well, we'll get into like what Yeah, other we say like cities and regions. Um, we're, di- I mean, we're, we're technically, and, th- and this is what we found out in our research. And I think it'll be different in other cities. Uh, but, but Atlanta, when, when you say Atlanta, People don't just mean Atlanta; they mean Metro Atlanta. Um, and so we found out from people who live there that we can't just cover Atlanta, um, particularly with the gentrification that has gone on there. Atlanta is now not even Atlanta; it's Black Atlanta is much bigger than just Atlanta um, due to a lot of the demographic changes in the area. So we're covering a pretty vast area there. Um, I think other cities, we might stay within the city limits. Um, it ju- I think it's really just going to depend. Got it. And what's your roadmap for when you're looking to add other cities or regions? Well, we're, we're going to add our next city um, by, the end of ne- by the end of this year. Do you want to share what it is? Not yet. Okay. And with, I mean, having a local outlet now for Atlanta. It feels like that's particularly important in a midterm election year. Cause I mean, it's all about local elections this year. And as much as presidential elections get all the attention, the midterms are where a lot of things go down. Cause it's not only, you know, representatives and whatever senators are up, but also the local officials that are up. So what's the strategy for how you're going to be covering the midterms, both for, you know, the Atlanta or the broader Georgia audience, but then on the national side too. Mm-hmm. Well, all of our, one of the things that we decided early on was that all of our local newsrooms were going to have a state house reporter. Um, so right now we're hiring, uh, we're looking for a state and local politics reporter in uh, for our Atlanta newsroom. And um, they're going to be on it, covering the state level and local politics. And um, we're hiring a national politics reporter. And um, I can see the two of them partnering a lot this year uh, because Georgia is going to be such an important state on stories that are happening in Georgia but are of national 
you know, relevance. And, um, uh, you know, that's kind of how I see that that playing out. Um, the national reporter is going to be focusing on the big themes uh, of the midterms because it's just going to be one person. We're small. We're a, we're a startup, and um, you know, identifying the the big stories, three to five big stories that we kind of want to follow that are representative of those of those themes and and track them. And it seems like, I mean, speaking of capital B at large, like you all have, like, obviously your focus when it comes to your audience is black people, but then even on the site, like there are, you know, some topics listed that kind of reflect the coverage priorities at the moment, health, criminal justice, politics, and housing. Was it pretty obvious? Like those are the four we're going to go and we don't, we don't need a sports section right now. Yeah, I think that we went, we wanted to go with topics that, um, you know, you know, there's, there is a lot of sports and entertainment coverage out there for black people. Um, there's, there's less of the other stuff. And so, you know, I think I'm not ruling out that one day we'll have it, but it's certainly not what we wanted to invest in to start. We wanted to go where there wasn't as much. Yeah, because I mean, one thing that stood out to me was I was looking at your job listings, and there's a job listing for a climate and environmental reporter. But what really stood out to me was in that listing, it describes this as being a role to cover environmental justice. And I don't know that that's a term that I've come across before. So could you like help me and anyone in the audience who like similarly hadn't come across it, like, understand like, what that means, and then what like, this person's going to be covering and like, what that coverage will look like? I mean, environmental justice is is a term that, well, for a long time was used, you know, primarily in activist circles. But I mean, so much environmental, uh, there's so much environmental, um, I guess you'd say injustice <laughs> that happens <laughs> in uh, predominantly, predominantly black and brown neighborhoods, uh, pollution and, uh, um, just, uh, various ills that are, um, that are done to people without the resources, uh, to, to fight it. And, um, and environmental justice is just, uh, the, the, the fight to, you know, combat that practice and to, to eliminate, um, those harms from from black and brown communities um uh and so that is that that's basically the 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 gist of it and um putting that focus on the way that people from marginalized groups are disproportionately harmed by um by by pollution and in our country and doing stories about it Another thing that stood out to me about the job listing is the listed salary of $70,000 and up, which to me, I was just like, that's not an insignificant sum of money by any means. Like I remember starting out making 24000 and when I got to 70000 I thought like, oh, I'm rich now. Like I'm good. And then like I was looking you know, further and the benefits are also pretty good. Like you get um, unlimited PTO, 20 weeks parental leave. 12 weeks caregiver leave. 
that's i mean even caregiver leave i feel like that's pretty unique that not a ton of companies offer caregiver leave how did you think about how you wanted to organize the workplace organize what benefits you were gonna offer and you know what kind of workplace you wanted it to be Mm -hmm. i mean something that was really clear to me in okoto coming out of 2020, which was the hardest year of my life um, professionally, was that we were tired. We were mentally tired. We were emotionally tired. Journalism is hard. And covering um, covering race as a Black person is hard. And, you know, particularly for a news organization that isn't going to be you know, whose business isn't going to be based on like, you know, being like a traffic farm. (laughs) I think that, you know, we're, we're going to have some space to give people a quality of life that, um, that hopefully will balance some of the stress that this work can bring to your life. Um, it's important work, but it is stressful and we want, um, we don't want to work our journalists or ourselves, frankly, because we're tired too, uh, to the bone. And um, I don't think good benefits are that hard, <laughs> you know. And and you know, some of them, I, like we had, uh, we had unlimited um, PTO at Vox, and I know, and it sound, and I know from experience that people just don't really abuse it. It's 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 not. Um, it's not a big, scary thing. Yeah. Well, if anything, it seems like often what you hear is I've never worked at a company that offers limited PTO, but I feel like the stories are generally people feeling like they can't be using the PTO because it is unlimited. And um, you mentioned like wanting to have a balanced workplace, like journalists can run themselves into the ground just because, especially if like they're working on important stories, they're going to put in those extra hours to get that story done. So how do you kind of ensure that like your journalists are maintaining that balance that they're not just running themselves roughshod? And also like, how do you in Okoto like model that for them based on like how you're balancing the work yourselves? Mm-hmm. Um, I've got two kids. One of them is special needs. They're, my son is six and my daughter's two. Um, and I just, I have to sign off at five to get, like, pick them up. And um, I, I do, like, I do sign back on, but, but, but I do, I'm not, I, you know, I really try to show that it is okay to have life. And, you know, we decide we decided to write these operating principles. Um, we were actually working with some um, consultants at this company, uh, this nonprofit in Philadelphia called Resolve, that helped us um, with this. And and we and we wrote these operating principles uh, for Capital B that uh, that are basically like a list of things that every Capital B employee just agrees to live by. And one of them is that we put our mental and physical health before everything else. And, and the second one is that we show up and we're present at work. And the idea behind this is that 
you can't show up and be present at work if you don't put your <laughs> your 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 uh your health first. And um and so we have really really high expectations for your performance and your work product. But we know that you can't fulfill them if you're coming to work not at your best. So stay home for two days and come back and do the job well. And that's kind of how we we're approaching this. Got it. Do you all have like a physical office or physical offices? Um, no, we will have one in Atlanta, but we like our national and central office is virtual. Okay. I imagine part of that is like, yeah. generally you want, you don't want journalists in the office. It's better to have them out meeting with sources, doing the reporting on the ground. And also, you know, launching in a pandemic, it, why get <laughs> you know we can hire people from all obviously that our atlanta journalists need to live in atlanta but for the rest of us there's no reason for us to all live in the same place and it opened up opportunities for us to hire people from all over the place so it you know it just made sense to not get an office right and I imagine it also helps from a, the perspective of managing costs because like in the welcome letter that you and Okoto wrote there's a whole section on the business model. And in there, there's a mention of capital B being, quote, organized in a way to minimize the cost of our local newsrooms, centralizing all of our business and operational functions, which put that way, it sounds like pretty simple, or at least like you all figured out there must be a playbook. But obviously, with local newsrooms, there are business challenges that where a lot of local news outlets just have struggled and have unfortunately folded what have how are you all able to minimize the cost in order to be able to support having a local newsroom so that like others could maybe learn from what you all are doing so um so when so okay so when we get when we launch our next newsroom we won't have to have an operations person we won't have to get a lawyer a new i mean or say Say the editor of our new newsroom was someone who just wanted to, to launch a newsroom uh, on the, on their own. Um, they would have to get a CMS. They would have to get all new uh, uh, laptops. They would have to get an attorney. They would have to file for 501c3. They would have to, to do all their fundraising by themselves. They would have to um, probably get an operations person. They would have to get a social media team. They would have to, or a social media person. Um, all of that stuff is just either already done or we have a team that does it. Um, and so to, to spin up a new newsroom, we just have to hire the journalists. Um, and so in that way, um, we're cutting costs enormously and, 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 and just adding efficiency to the process where, um, where we can be really nimble about where we're going next. Okay. Of the coverage that you all have published so far, again, this is just day two, <laughs> but one of the ones that stood out to me was on the capital B Atlanta site where there's, um, basically like this reading primer, I forget what exactly it was called, but it's, you know, lists all these articles, links to documentaries, podcasts about like kind of what do I need to know about what the big 
civic issues are in Atlanta. And I imagine like it's tailored specifically for people in the greater Atlanta area, but it also seemed really helpful for just me who's in California has never been to Atlanta before, doesn't really understand what's going on there. Is that something that you're planning to continue doing and not just for like specific cities or regions as you launch, but even like have these kinds of primers for topics? Mm -hmm. We have a couple of them on on our national site too. It was kind of a last minute idea for us to do it. And, um, I I don't know. We'll see, we'll see how they, how they do. I, I think it, is an interesting idea, um, you know, to ground people in in a topic before they start reading about it or even while they're reading about it. Um, there's always more and uh, and letting giving folks the opportunity to 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 basically nerd out on something once you've once you've kind of wet their appetite for it is probably a really great way to engage them and and so yeah i think we'll we'll explore continuing different continuing to try different ways of doing that on the sites day two has there been any like story that you've seen really pop that's you know kind of surprised you or led you to think okay that's something we could really like go further down going forward um i don't know we haven't had that many stories yet but i you know i i i think the two stories that i thought would would pop the most have um on our on on our atlanta site we had a feature on um the residents of people's town which is a a neighborhood where there's some residents who've been in a really long imminent domain fight with the city that's you know pretty well known in atlanta um and lots of intersecting issues of race and gentrification and um, all kinds of stuff, and and we got some really good access, and um, and it was really well written, and I think indicative of the kind of stories that we want to do for Capital B Atlanta. And um, on the national site, we did a really good piece that basically looked at the the effects of the ninety four crime bill, um, cutting Pell grants for prisoners, and what basically if eliminating higher education opportunities for prisoners has done over the last 30 years and what that has meant for even the neighborhoods that those prisoners return to after they get out of prison has been doing really well and it's a really fascinating piece. Lauren, I don't want to take you away from the work for too long so appreciate you coming on this podcast and good luck with everything with Capital Bay. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.